So this morning's reading is from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, which can be found on page 1441 in the Black Bibles. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done us as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. Good morning. It is uh, such a joy and a blessing to worship our Lord together on this, the first Sunday of the new year. And for me, I think it's a special privilege to be able to preach from God's word this morning. I'm truly grateful to Carl for this opportunity. We're beginning um, today a four-week sermon series on the book of Jonah. Uh, We're looking at chapter one today, and over the next three weeks, Carl and Mike will be taking us through the rest of the chapters. Today, though, you're stuck with me. Earlier this year, I read in the news about a long-lost Italian um, painting that was discovered in the house of... um, of a lady in France. Um, the painting was done by an Italian artist called Chima Bu. It had been hanging in this lady's house for, for many years, for decades almost, and it was hanging just above her 
the hot plate in her kitchen. And eventually someone visiting the house um, discovered the true value of the painting. And it was sold at an auction for over $26 million. You know, th this lady had been looking at it every day. She'd, uh, she thought it was a nice touch to her kitchen, but that's, that's all she thought it was. I think sometimes we can be so familiar with things and we can look at things so many times and yet miss some of the significance and the depth of value that is in there. The book of Jonah, I think, is a, is a prime example for this. Now we, it's, it's a book that pretty much everyone knows so well. We know the story of Jonah and the big fish. We know story of what happened, and it's, you know, it's a children's classic. Every children's Bible has that picture in, picture of Jonah. And we think we know it all. And again, like that lady, we might miss some of the deepest significance and the depth of meaning that is in the book. I hope that this morning... And over the next three weeks, we'll, we'll come to see Jonah not just as a mere children's classic story, but as the powerful work of God through his word. And as we come to hear from God's word, let's bow our hearts in prayer. Our Father and our God, prepare Prepare our hearts this morning, Lord, as we come to hear from your holy word. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing. Convict, comfort, strengthen, and uplift the hearts of all of us. And I pray that your word will go out in the power of your spirit and strike the depths of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we heard read to us this morning, we are looking at Jonah chapter 1, and uh, you can follow along in your Bibles. And let me begin reading to you from verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Before we get into the passage itself. Let me take a couple of moments to set the context of where we are in the book. Jonah was a prophet of Israel from a place called Gath Hepha in Galilee. We have a reference in uh, the book of Two Kings that he lived during the period of King Jeroboam II. Uh, commentators believe that it was around the year 750 BC. This was a period of great outward prosperity for Israel. They were, they were winning military battles. They were economically prosperous. But at the same time, spiritually, it was a period of decay. It was a period of moral darkness in Israel. The people were being led from the worship of the true God, from seeking satisfaction in God, to the worship of idols and seeking their own selfish pursuits. 
And at this time, Israel was also more or less in a state of constant warfare with uh, the kingdom of Assyria. The Assyrian Empire was considered one of the most brutal empires in ancient history. Even today, we have historical records of some of the brutality that they um, did to others. Um, and we have you know, records written and, and carved in sculptures about how cruelly they, tra- they treated their prisoners. And Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. In verse 2, we read Nineveh described as a great city. It was indeed you know, a great city in terms of the population, in terms of culture, um, in terms of economy. There were, commentators believe, up to 300,000 people living there. But in spite of all that, it was a city renowned for wickedness, for evil. And it is in this context that we need to see the incredible nature of Jonah's mission. Jonah, an Israelite, is being sent to this nation which is his enemy, to the capital of the nation. Now, it's easy to read the book of Jonah and think, oh, that Jonah, he must have been such a disobedient prophet. But I think in terms of the context, we see something of the concerns Jonah might have had can perhaps imagine what Jonah is thinking. God, you want me to do what? You want me to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to preach to that wicked city? Some commentators have um, drawn the analogy of it being like a, a Jew from Poland or England traveling to Berlin at the height of the Second World War and preaching against the Nazi empire. It was a stunning message, almost like you could say a mission impossible. And you can understand Jonah's reluctance. But here's the interesting bit. It's not really until we get to chapter 3 that we understand the full rationale behind Jonah's decision to flee. It's not just his fear and anxiety about his personal safety. It's because he's worried that the people of Nineveh, his enemy, would actually listen to his preaching and repent and be saved. Here was a man so full of nationalistic pride so full of superiority in his own race, in his own nation, that he would rather see the people of Nineveh perish than repent and come to God. This was no ordinary man. He was a, he was a prophet. He was a man of God. He knew so much about God. And yet, his heart at least in this area, was so far from God. And we look at Jonah and we, you know, we can so easily condemn his bigotry and his apparent racism. 
But I wonder if we have our own blind spots. For those of us who've been, you know, Christians for a while, who know so much about God and about his word, we've grown up with God's word, we know a lot about it, but the question is, do we have God's heart? Do we share his compassion, his mercy, his love for all people? I wonder if sometimes we don't unconsciously look down on some people or look at some people with prejudice. Do we treat everyone with the same love that God shows? Or do we think some people as undeserving and would rather see them face the judgment of God than to repent and receive his mercy? Something to examine in our own hearts. But returning to Jonah, he doesn't merely run from God. He runs as far as possible. Let me just read verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Tarshish was about 3,000 kilometers west of Israel. Nineveh was about 550 kilometers east of Israel. So he's pretty much running as far away as possible. Now I was thinking about this and I was wondering, why couldn't he just have said, no Lord, I'm not going, and just stayed in Israel? We're not told the answer, but I'm, I'm speculating. I'm wondering if perhaps he wanted to flee from the very felt presence of God. He didn't want to be reminded of the temple of God, Maybe he didn't want his friends to remind him of God and God's word. And he just wanted to to be as far away as possible from God and God's word. And again, I wonder, my friends, if that is not something we do when we choose to disobey God in the moment. We would rather neglect God's word than be confronted by our own sin. We would rather not catch up with an honest friend than to be pointed out of our own errors. We'd rather run from our own conscience than confront the sin in our hearts. And Jonah's made the decision to run And run he does as fast as possible and as far away as possible. The tragedy here is this is the man commissioned by God to bring God's word. This is God's prophet. And he has come to this state. Jonah had forgotten these words of the psalmist in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. 
But although Jonah had abandoned God, although Jonah had forgotten God, God had not abandoned Jonah. And God does not forget him. And so we read in verses 4 to 6 of the storm that God sends. A couple of things stand out to me from those verses. Firstly, the sailors were seasoned sailors. They were not just um, sailing out for the first time. Tarshish was a fair distance away. But the storm was of such intensity and fierceness that even these sailors could see the finger of God behind it. And secondly, I'm struck by the irony of this situation. These sailors are not Israelites. They're pagan sailors. They're praying to their own gods. And there is Jonah, the prophet of God, the prophet of the one true living God, and he's fast asleep. These men who knew not God were praying, and the one man who should have been praying is sleeping. Indeed, God uses the pagan captain to wake up the sleeping prophet to get up and pray. It must have been incredibly embarrassing for an Israelite to read this book. They were called to be the light to the nations, to be a beacon of hope to the Gentiles. They were acting as wayward rebels and sinners. In fact, I'm struck by this. In the New Testament, when the Pharisees speak to Jonah, they say, uh, sorry, to Jesus, they say, No prophet has ever come from Galilee. They've actually completely forgotten Jonah, or they've chosen to disregard him. I wonder if it's because they're so embarrassed. And again, I wonder if we as a church are serving as a light to the nations, or if we're hiding our light under a bushel. We return to the narrative and we see the sailors now casting lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Now, this was an ancient custom. We're not told exactly how uh, it worked in terms of the casting of the lots. But even if it was a superstitious custom, God chooses to sovereignly work through it. And the lot falls on Jonah. You can imagine Jonah's rising tension at this point. You know, just before this, he'd gone to sleep. He was enjoying a lovely deep sleep, not a care in the world, his conscience he'd suppressed. And he wakes up to a raging sea, to the ship about to break up, to people who are wondering who's responsible. You know, even at this point, I wonder if he's thinking, Oh, I hope it's one of those pagan sailors. Surely it's not me. I'm, I'm a prophet of God. Surely it's not me. And then you can see as they're doing this casting of lots, and, in, and he's probably hoping with sweaty palms that it doesn't fall on him. 
And you can see the tension build. And when it finally falls to him, he's finally convicted. He is the man. I'm reminded at this point of uh, King David after his infamous episode with Bathsheba. He was finally convicted of his sin when the prophet Nathan confronted him. And he said, you are the man. And David finally acknowledged, I am the man. And Jonah too, at this point, stands convicted, I am the man. In the book of Numbers, we read, be sure your sin will find you out. And Jonah stands found out. Finally convicted of sin, he says this. He answered in verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who has made the sea and the land. Again, there's an irony here. There's a tragedy here. This man who knew that the God was the Lord of heaven and earth, who made the sea and the land, and yet he tries running away from that God via the sea. How easy it is to know about God in our heads, but to not experience him in our hearts. How easy it is to have a mere superficial knowledge of God without truly knowing him in our hearts. Jonah realizes his folly, but he also truly experiences the awesome power of God, the Lord who made the sea and the earth. Let me at this point pause for a few moments to dwell just on this storm. Remember, it is God who sends the storm, and God is showing that ultimately he is the creator, and he is responsible and in control of of the land and the sea. I'm deeply conscious today as we consider the widespread suffering and pain that so many Australians face with the bushfires, so many thousands affected directly or indirectly. And beyond that, I'm conscious that so many of us might be going through trials and storms in our own lives. Unlike Jonah, though, we may never know the answer why. In Jonah's case, God made it clear to him. But life isn't always that straightforward. Every trial is not a discipline. In fact, the Bible tells us the story of Job, a righteous man, who, unlike Jonah, never rebelled against God. And yet he faced the fiery, fiery furnace of God's trials. He lost his possessions. He lost his property. He lost his health. He lost the respect of his peers. He lost his own children. And yet, till the end of his life, he never knew the answer to the question why. Why? 
My friends, we too may never know the answer to the question why or to the question how long. But as we pass through the deepest storm, as we pass through the fiercest fiery furnace, let me point you to the answer to the question who. Who is with you in the midst of that storm? Who is in control? The one who is your loving father, the God who made heaven and earth. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I've quoted this before and I'll quote it again, is from Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Even as you feel the flow giving way underneath you, as you hear the shocking diagnosis, the devastating news, remember that God is always there. And underneath are his everlasting arms. Coming back to Jonah... Again, it's interesting to note that God uses the same storm for different reasons, for different people. He used the storm to wake up Jonah from his spiritual sleep and rebellion. He used it to prepare the prophet before he could go and preach. But he also used the storm as the means to reveal the power to reveal the true and living God to those sailors who may have never come to know God otherwise. Even in Jonah's rebellion, though Jonah meant it for evil, God turned it for good. I think it's a reminder to us that God works all things for good for those who love him. Not one sparrow falls, not a single hair falls from your head, which is outside his sovereign will and control. Finally, we turn to verse 12, and Jonah says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know it is my fault that the great storm has come upon you. Jonah is resigned finally to his fate. But again, the irony is that these men who don't know God show more compassion and love than Jonah, than this prophet. They don't just push him overboard as soon as he says he's responsible. They try their best to row back to land. And eventually they pray, this time not to their own gods, but to the one true and living God of heaven and earth. And eventually realizing they can do nothing else, they throw Jonah overboard. As we heard in the kids' talk, one minute there was a raging storm, and the next the sea as calm as glass, as quiet as a whisper, 
You know, the fear that they had after the storm, in the stillness after the storm, is probably greater than the fear that they had during the storm. They are confronted, perhaps for the first time, by the awesome majesty of God and the holiness of God. They, they realize they are in the presence of a holy God. One man gave himself up that others could be saved. Indeed, if we have eyes to see, we will see that Jonah foreshadows one greater than him. One who many years after Jonah came just like Jonah from Galilee, not merely with a word from the Lord, but he came as the very word of God incarnate in flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The one whose birth we remembered just a couple of weeks ago. Unlike Jonah, though, Jesus came willingly, eagerly, without a backward step, to do his Father's will, to bring the love and grace of God to all people across all nations and all races, all countries. Even to those who hated him, even to those who mocked him and scorned him. But like Jonah, he came to willingly give himself up for us to bear the wrath of God that was meant for us, to calm the storm of judgment that we who may put our faith in him will find peace and joy and rest. The story of Jonah doesn't end with Jonah sinking in the sea. Our God is a God of second chances, a God who waits with open arms for the willful sinner to return. We know the story of the, of the mighty fish that rescues Jonah. And next week, Mike will take us through the rest of chapter 2. But for now, let me remind you, our God is a God of rescue, a God who will not abandon us. Perhaps, my friend, at this point, you are walking in rebellion to God. And like Jonah, maybe you know so much about God, and you've learned about God, and yet there is some area in life, or in some way, your heart is far from God. Perhaps you're running to be as far away from God as possible. This is what God's word has to say about a life lived in rebellion, the way of peace they have not known. You can chase after things. You can chase after wealth and career and relationships and all of that, excluding God. But you know the inner turmoil, the restlessness, the guilt, the shame, the emptiness. This morning, 
Jonah is pointing us to a God who stands with his arms wide open. The God who is the Lord of heaven and earth, who holds the seas in the hollows of his hand. But a Lord who loved us so much that he spared not his son to rescue us, to come the sea of God's wrath and bring us peace. If you hear his voice today, if you hear your own conscience accusing you of your rebellion, do not harden your hearts, but turn to him in repentance. Let me leave you with the words of this hymn from George Matheson. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. Let us pray. Father and our God, we thank you for this wonderful book of Jonah. We thank you for the way in which you've always held on to those who've rebelled against you, that you, were, that you are a God of mercy and grace. You are a God who will not let us go. You are a God of second chances. And we humbly turn to you this morning, Lord, in repentance. Help us to examine our own hearts. Help us to see the areas in which our hearts are far, are far from your heart. And may your peace fill us. And may your grace give us comfort and strength in the midst of our trials. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.